Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye. So what we're reading today, this is a podcasting 2.0 podcast where uh, as you listen to the podcast, if you're listening on the podcasting 2.0 application like Podverse or Sphinx Chat or um, there's also Fountain for the iPhone, you have the option to actually stream Satoshis, which are the smallest amount a Bitcoin, a bit, a smallest amount of Bitcoin, uh, and then you can stream like two stats, uh, Satoshi's a minute, they call them sats, and then as you're listening, you're actually giving value back, and it helps support this podcast and Fotations, as well as all the sister sites like Thumbs United, Life to Tape, and Project Aerospace, and so that keeps me from having to go to advertisers, which I, I really don't like. Uh, and like I'm actually going through the process of removing uh, advertisement from uh, my website. I just felt like it was a really horrible experience. It was an experiment that didn't go well. And uh, the people that I partnered with, which are like standard names in the industry, made it really difficult to get the ads that I wanted and made it difficult to block ads that I felt were just low quality. So that's why I'm not going with the advertiser route anymore. If you've seen this on YouTube and there is an ad, uh, it's because YouTube doesn't give me a choice. They flat out said that we will put ads in front of everything and we don't have to pay you. You don't have to be in the creator program, uh, which is it's fair because you know they're providing a free service, which is unlimited video hosting, which is unheard of. Uh, but if you're seeing an ad there, I had no control of it. Uh, if I get to the point where I'm able to control the ads again, I used to be able to put them at the end of videos, then uh, I'll start doing that. But they took that away because uh, I didn't have enough subscribers or views uh, to remain in the creator program. Uh, so when I do get to that point again, I'll start placing the ads in, in better places that aren't intrusive. But until then, uh, we will continue with our ads uh, that I get no monetization from and just, you know, kind of bide my time. So what we're doing today, this is episode two of our, our no, it's part two of our reading of the Junior Classics Volume 1. This is the Fairy and Wonder Tales uh, book. And so we left off with starting the, um, how the sun and the moon went out to dinner by E. Ferry. One day, Sun, Moon, and Wind went out to dine with their uncle and aunt Thunder and Lightning. Their mother, one of the most distant stars you will see far up in the sky, waited alone for her children to return. Both Sun and Wind were greedy and selfish. They enjoyed the great feast and had been prepared for them, without thought of saving it, for an saving it to take home to their mother, but the gentle moon did not forget her. Every dainty dish that was brought round, she placed a small portion under one of her beautiful long fingernails. The star might also have a share in the treat. On their return, their mother, who had kept watch for them all night 
long with her little bright eyes, said, Well, children, what have you brought home for me? The son, who was eldest, said, I have brought nothing home for you. I went out to enjoy myself with my friends, not to fetch dinner for my mother. And Wind said, Neither have I brought anything home for you, mother. You could hardly expect me to bring a collection of good things for you when I was merely went out for my own pleasure. But Moon said, Mother, fetch a plate and see what I have brought you. And shaking her hand, she showed down, she showed down such a choice of dinner as never was seen before. The star turned to sun and spoke thus, Because you went out to amuse yourself with your friends, and feasted and enjoyed yourself without any thought of our mother at home, you shall be cursed. Henceforth your rays shall ever be hot and scorching, and shall burn all that they touch, and men shall hate you, and cover their heads when you appear. And that is why the sun is so hot to this day. Then she turned to the wind and said, You also, who have forgot your mother in the midst of your selfish pleasure here, your doom. You shall always blow in the hot and dry weather, and shall parch and shrivel all things, and men shall detest and avoid you from this very time. And that is why the wind in hot weather is still so disagreeable. But to the moon she said, Daughter, because you remembered your mother and kept for her a share in your own enjoyment, from henceforth you shall be ever cool and calm and bright. No obnoxious glare shall accompany your pure rays, and men shall always call you blessed. And that is why the moon's light is so soft and cool and beautiful even to this day. That was a nice short story. Now we're going on to Why the Fish Laughed by jo Joseph Jacobs. As a certain fisherwoman passed by a palace crying, carrying her fish, the queen appeared at one of the windows and beckoned her to come near and show what she had. At the moment, a very big fish jumped out of the bottom of the basket. Is it a he or a she? inquired the queen. I wish to purchase a she-fish. On hearing this, the fish laughed aloud. It is a he, replied the fisherwoman, and proceeded on her rounds. The queen returned to her room in a great rage, and on coming to see her in the evening, the king noticed that something had disturbed her. Are you indisposed, he said? No, but I am very much annoyed at the strange behavior of a fish. A woman brought me one today, and on my inquiring whether it was a male or female, the fish laughed most rudely. A fish laugh? Impossible. You must be dreaming. I am not a fool. I speak of what I have seen with my own eyes and heard with my own ears. Passing strange, be it so, I will inquire concerning it. On the morning, the king repeated to his visor what his wife had told him, and bade him investigate the matter, and to be ready with a satisfactory answer within six months, on pain of death. The visor promised to do his best, though he felt most certain of failure. For, li for live months he labored and for Tudelby to find a reason for the laughter of the fish. He sought everywhere and from everyone, the wise and the learned, and they all were skilled in magic and in all manner of trickery were consulted. Nobody, however, could explain the matter, and so he returned broken-hearted to his house and began to arrange his affairs in prospect of certain death. for he had sufficient experience of the king to know that his majesty would not go back from his threat. Amongst other things, he advised his son to travel 
for a time until the king's anger should somewhat cooled. The, f the young fellow, who was both clever and handsome, started off whatsoever Kismet might lead him. He had been gone for some days when he fell in with an old farmer who was also on a journey to a certain village. Finding the old man very pleasant, he asked him if he might accompany him, professing to be on a visit to the same place. The old farmer agreed, and they walked along together. The day was hot, and the day was long and weary. Don't you think it's a pleasanter if you and I gave one another a lift, said the youth. What a fool the man is, thought the old farmer. Presently they passed through a field of corn, ready for the sickle, and looking like a sea of gold as it waved to and fro in the breeze. Is this eaten or not, said the young man. Not understanding his meeting, the old man replied, I don't know. After a little while, the two travelers arrived at a big village where the young man gave his companion a clasp knife and said, Take this, friend, and get two horses with it, but mind and bring it back, for it is very precious. The old man, looking half amused and half angry, pushed the knife, murmuring, muttering something to the effect that his friend was either a fool himself or else trying to play the fool with him. The young man pretended not to notice his reply and remained almost silent till they reached the city, a short distance outside which the old farmer's house. They walked about the bazaar and went to the mosque, but nobody saluted them or invited them to come in and rest. What a large cemetery, they exclaimed the young man. What does that man mean, thought the old farmer, calling this largely populated city a cemetery. On leaving the city, there way led through the cemetery where a few people were praying beside a grave and disturbing Chippenese and Chuhas and passerbys in the name of their beloved dead. They beckoned the two travelers and gave them as much as they could. What a splendid city this is, said the young man. Now the man must surely be demented, though the old farmer, I wonder what he will do next. He will be calling the land water and the water land, and will be speaking of light where there is darkness, and darkness where there is light. However, he kept his thoughts to himself. Presently, presently they had to wait through a stream that ran along the edge of the cemetery. The water was rather deep, and so the old farmer took off his shoes and pajamas and crossed over, but the young man waded through it with his shoes and pajamas on. Well, I never did see such a perfect fool, both in the world, both in word and in deed, said the old man to himself. However, he liked the fellow, and thinking that he would amuse his wife and daughter, he invited him to come and stay at his house as long as he had occasion to remain in the village. Thank you very much, the young man replied, but let me first inquire, if you please, whether the beam of your house is strong. The old farmer left him in despair and entered the house laughing. There is a man in yonder field, he said. After returning their greetings, he has come the greater part of the way with me, and I wanted to put him here as long as he had to stay in this village. But the young fellow is such a fool that I cannot make anything out of him. He wants to know if the beam of his house is all right. The man must be mad, and saying this, he burst into a fit of laughter. Father, said the farmer's daughter, who was very sharp and wise school, this man, whoever he is, is no fool, as you deem him. 
He has only wished to know if you can afford to entertain him. Oh, of course, replied the farmer. I see. Well, perhaps you can help me solve this with some of his other mysteries. While we were walking together, he asked whether he could carry me or I should carry him, as he thought that would be a pleasant mode of proceeding. Most assuredly, said the girl, he meant that one of you should tell a story to beguile the time. Oh, yes. Well, we were passing through the cornfield, and he asked me whether it was eaten or not. And didn't you know the meaning of this, father? He simply wished to know if the man was in debt or not, because if the owner of the field was in debt, then the produce of the field was as good as eaten to him. That is, it would have to go to his creditors. Yes, 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 of course. Then, on entering a certain village, he bade me take his clasp knife and get two horses with it, and bring back the knife again to him. Are you not two stout sticks as good as two horses for helping one along the road? He only asked you to cut a couple of sticks and be careful not to lose the knife. I see, said the farm, said Time Farmer. Well, while we were walking over the city, we did not see anybody that we knew, and not a soul gave us a scrap of anything to eat till we were passing the cemetery. But there some people called to us and put into our hands some chapatis and chulachulas. So with my companion called out, called the city a cemetery and the cemetery a city. This also is to be understood, Father. If one thinks of the city as a place where everything is to be obtained, and the inhospitable people as worse than the dead, the city, though crowded with people as it, it as if dead, as far as you were concerned, while in the cemetery which is crowded with time dead, you were saluted by kind friends and provided with bread. True, true, said the astonished farmer. Then just now, when we were crossing the stream, he waded through it without taking off his shoes and pajamas. I admire his wisdom, replied, the, replied Time Girl. I have often thought how stupid people were to venture into that swiftly flowing stream over those sharp stones with bare feet. The slightest stumble, and they would fall and be wetted from head to foot. This friend of yours is most wise man. I would like to see him and speak to him. Very well, said Time Farmer. I will go on and find him and bring him in. Tell him, father, that our beams are strong enough and he will come in. I'll send on ahead a present a present to the man and show him that we can afford to have him as our guest. Accordingly, she called his servant and sent him to the young man with presently a basin of ghee, twelve chipitties, and a jar of milk and following message, O friend Time Moon, is full. Twelve months make a year, and the sea is overflowing with water. Halfway the bearer of this present message met his little son, who, seeing what was in the basket, begged his father to give him some of the food. His father foolishly complied, presenting he saw the young man, and gave him the rest of the present and the message. Give your mistress my salam, he replied, and tell her that the moon is new, and that I can only find eleven mouths in the year, and the sea is by no means full. Not understanding this meaning of these words, the servant repeated the word for word as he had heard them to his mistress, and thus his left thus his theft was discovered, and he was severely punished. 
After a little while, the young man appeared with the old farmer. Great attention was shown to him, and he was treated in every way as if he were a son of a great man, although his humble host knew nothing of his origin. At length, be told them ever talking everything about laughing of the fish his farmer threatened execution his father's threatened execution and his own banishment and asked their advice as to what he should do the laughing of the fish said the girl which seems to have been the cause of all this trouble indicates that there is a man in the palace who is plotting against the king's life joy joy exclaimed the visor's son there is yet time for me to return and save my father's from ignoramus and unjust death and the king's danger the following day he hastened back to his own country taking with him the father's daughter immediately on arrival he ran to the palace and informed his father of what he had heard the poor vizier now almost dead from expectation of death was at once carried to the king to whom he repeated the news that his son had just brought never said the king but it must be so, your majesty, replied the vizier, and in order to prove the truth of what I have heard, I pray call together your, all of the maids in your palace and order them to jump over a pit, which must be dug. You will soon find out whether there is any man there. The king had time to, the king had time, pit, the king had time, pit dug, and commanded all the maids belonging to the palace to jump over it. All of them tried, but only one succeeded, and that one was found to be a man. Thus the queen satisfied, and the faithful old visor saved. Afterwards, as soon as, as soon as could be, the visor's son married the old farmer's daughter, and a most happy marriage it was. I, I got a little confused. I was like, well, who is this new traveler? I guess I missed the point. The point where they said that was the son of the visor but it was a happy ending i think i got busted for being a maid the next story is the farmer and the money lender by joseph jacobs there was an ounce a farmer who suffered much at time ha time hands of money and lender good harvest or bad the farmer was always poor the money lender rich and at the last, when he hadn't farming left, the farmer went to the money lender's house and said, You can't squeeze water from a stone, and as you have nothing to get by me now, you must tell me the secret of becoming rich. My friend returned the money lender, piously. Rich comes from Ram Askim. Thank you, I will, replied the simple farmer. So he prepared three griddle cakes to last him on the journey and set out to find Ram. First he met Braham, and to him he gave a cake, asking him to point out the road to Ram. But Braham only took the cake and went on his way without a word. Next the farmer met a jogi, or devotee, and to him he gave a cake without receiving any help in return. At last he came upon a poor man sitting under a tree, and finding it, he was very hungry, the kindly farmer gave him the last cake, and sitting down to rest beside him, entered into conversation. And where are you going? asked the poor man at length. Oh, I have a long journey before me, for I am going to find Ram, replied the farmer. 
I don't suppose you could tell me which way to go. Perhaps I can, said the old man, smiling, for I am Ram. What do you want from me? Then the farmer told the whole story, and Rain, taking pity on him, gave him a conch shell and showed him how to blow it in a particular way, saying, Remember, whatever you wish for, you will have only to blow the crunch that way, and your wish will be fulfilled. Only have a care that the money lender, for even magic, is not proof against their, is not proof against their wiles. The farmer went back to his village rejoicing. In fact, the money lender noticed his high spirits. At once he said to himself, Some good fortune must have befallen this stupid fellow to make him hold his head so jauntily. Therefore he went over the simplest farmer's house and congratulated him on his good fortune, and such cunning words pretended to have heard all about it that before long the farmer found himself telling the whole story except the secret blowing crunch, for with all his simplicity the farmer was not quite such a fool to tell that. Nevertheless, the money lender determined to have the crunch by hook or by crook, and as he was villain enough not to stick at trifles, he waited for a favorable opportunity and stole the crunch. But as nearly bursting himself with blowing the crunch in every conceivable way, he was obliged to give up the secret as a bad job. However, being determined to succeed, he went back to the farmer and said coolly, Look here, I've got your crunch, but I can't use it. You haven't got it, so it's clear you can't use it either. Business is now at a standstill unless we make a bargain. Now I promise to give you back your crunch and never interfere with you using it on one condition, which is whatever you get from it, I am to get double. Never, cried the farmer, that is, would be the old business all over again. Not at all, replied Time, wily money lender. You will have your share. Now don't be a dog in the manager, for if you get all you want, what will it matter to you if I am rich or poor? At last, though, it went soaringly against the grain to be of any benefit to the money lender. The farmer was forced to yield, and from time, no matter what he gained by the power of the crouch, time money had lender had doubled, and the knowledge that this was to so preyed upon the farmer's mind day and night, so that he had no satisfaction out of anything. At last there came a very dry season, so dry that the farmer crops were never for want of rain, then he blew his crotch and wished for a well water then, and lo, there was a well, but the money lender had two, two beautiful new wells, and this was so, and this was too much for any farmer to stand, and our friend brooded over it, and brooded over it, till at last a bright idea came into his head, and he seized the crunch and blew it loudly, and cried out, O oh, Ram, I wish to be blind of one eye, and so he was in a tinkling, but the money lender, of course, was blind in both, and in trying to steer his way between the two new wells fell into one and was drowned. Now this true story shows that a farmer once gotten time better of money lender, but only by losing one of its eyes. That was a terrible story. And that's what happens when you make too much money off of people and get annoyed. Self-destruct.
So this is going to be our last short story. Pride Goeth Before a Fall by Joseph Jacobs. In a certain village there lived ten cloth merchant cloth merchants who always went about together. Once upon a time they had traveled far afield and were returning home with a great deal of money which they had obtained by selling their waves. Now there happened to be a dense forest near their village, and this they reached early one morning. In it there lived three notorious robbers, whose existence and traders had never heard, and while they were still in the middle of the middle of it, the robbers stood before them with swords and cudgels in their hands, and ordered them to lay down all they had. The traders had no weapons with them, so they, though they were many more in number, they had to submit themselves to the robbers, who took away everything from them, even the very clothes they wore, and gave to them each only a small loincloth, a span breadth, and a cubic in length. The idea that they had conquered ten men and plundered all their pro- property now took possession of the robbers' minds. They seated themselves like three monarchs before the men they had plundered and ordered them to dance them before returning home. The merchants now mourned their fate. They had lost all they had except their loincloth, and still the robbers were not satisfied, but ordered them to dance. There was among the ten merchants one who was very clever. He pondered over the calamity that had come upon him and his friends. They danced they would have to perform, and the magnificent manner in which the three robbers had seated themselves on the grass. At the same time, he observed that these last had placed their weapons on the ground, in the assurance of having thoroughly cowed their traders, who were now commencing to dance. So he took the lead in the dance, and as the song is always strung by the leader on such occasions to which the rest keep time with their hands and feet, he thus began to sing, We are empty men, we are rent men, we are rent men, surround inth men. Eno menth remains, ta 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 green. The robbers were all uneducated and thought the leader was merely singing a song as unusual. So it was one, it was in one sense for the leader's commence. So it was in one sense for the leader commenced from a distance and had sung the song over twice before he and his comrades commenced to approach the robbers. They had understood the meaning because they had been trained in trade. When the two raiders discussed the price of articles and presents of purchasers, they used riddlings of sort of language. What is the price of this cloth? One trader will ask another. Entry rupees. Another will reply, meaning ten rupees. Thus, there is no possibility of the purchaser knowing what is meant unless he to be acquainted with the trade language. By the rule of the secret language, earth means three, entry entry means ten, and enos means one. So the leader, by his song, meant to hint to his fellow traders that they were ten men, the robbers only three, that if three pounced upon each of the robbers, nine of them could hold them down while the remaining one bound the robbers' hands and feet. The three thieves, glorified in their victory, and little understanding of the meaning of the song, 
and the intentions of the dance were profoundly seated chewing betel and tobacco. Meanwhile, the song was being sung at their time. Ta-ta-tom had left the lips of the singer, and before Tagagano was out of them, the traders separated into parties of three, and each party pounced upon a thief. The remaining one, the leader himself, tore up into long, narrow strips a large piece of cloth, six cubic long, and tied the hands and feet of the robbers. These were entirely humbled now and rolled onto the ground like three bags of rice. The ten traders all took back all, the ten traders now took back all their property and armed themselves with the sword and cudgels of the enemies, and when they reached their village they often amused their friends and relatives by retelling their adventure. So that was that was it for this reading, this ASMR reading of the Junior Classics Volume 3, Fairy and Wonder Tales. Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye.